0: So I've brought this hat with me to the stage before. It was my great-grandfather's hat, Lewis Kinley. Lewis Kinley lived outside of Lubbock his whole life. He uh, worked hard every day. He was a farmer by trade. And I told you that he influenced my life deeply. My great-grandfather um, was just one of those guys that people looked up to. He' was about, I don't know, five- foot five. Um, kind, gentle man, and he sat in the back of his church every Sunday and greeted everybody that came to church. He was just that guy, good man. And if you had met Lewis Kenley before he passed and and got to have his homecoming in heaven, you'd have said, that man is full of joy. He was just a happy guy. He smiled at everybody. He always had some gum in his pocket if you needed gum, and he, he was just that guy. He was just a great, great grandfather to me. You know, Lewis Kenley, when he was farming, one day he, uh, he decided that he was going to go out of town with he and his bride, my great-grandmother, and as they were driving, they were hit head on by a drunk driver. It shattered every bone in my great-grandfather's body, every bone. He was, I mean, just hanging on to life. My great-grandmother was hurt, bruised, tossed around in the car. You know, this is pre-seatbelt days. This is, this is a bad wreck. And she uh, sat next to his bedside, hurt, but okay. Her great-grandfather came, too, hurting really badly. And she was tending to him, talking to him, encouraging him. And as she walked back to her room, she fell and passed away. Her injuries were so devastating that they didn't really check for internal injuries. But my great-grandmother was bleeding internally. My great-grandfather was broken. He was right in the middle of harvest season, and it was the worst possible time. He had just had a new granddaughter, my mother. And they were anxiously waiting to see her and get to hold her. My great-grandfather stayed in the hospital for months. It wasn't a part of his body, again, that was not broken, jaw. Forehead, skull, arms, legs, toes, fingers, broken. One day a man came to the hospital, is his neighbor, and he said, Lewis, don't worry about your crops. We'll take care of it. And they did. All of his neighbors around came and harvested all of his crops for him. It's amazing. Great grandfather finally got out of the hospital, and knowing that there probably wasn't a lie for him then in big farming. He sold his land and moved into Lubbock. He, uh, he met at the same time this wonderful lady named Rose. Rose was a, a school counselor, and she was a pretty little thing. And he married her. And that's the great-grandmother I grew up knowing. We called her Mama Rose. and She was a devout follower of Jesus Christ. She loved the Lord, and she loved people. And together they did amazing things for the kingdom of God. And then the prognosis came that Mama Rose had stage 4 cancer. And she died. You know what my great-grandfather did the next day after the funeral? He went to church. He sat in the back. And he smiled and greeted every person. And he gave them a stick of gum if they needed it. You know why? Because my great-grandfather had a hope that even in the midst of all of his pain and struggles and hardship, he could hold on to Jesus. Amen. And Jesus was enough for my great-grandfather. Amen. I can never forget my great-grandfather was ill, and, and we went to his house, and, and we're sitting around. And I, I'm not even going to lie. You can ask all the great-grandchildren. They'll all say the exact same thing. I was the favorite great-grandchild. I, I'm not, listen, y'all can judge all you want, but we don't even have to take a vote. It's established. I was, I was it. I'd show up and I'd hug on them. I would go over. I wanted to see them. I loved them. And that day I sat in his living room. My great-grandfather was fading. And I went with my grandmother and granddad. Uh, my grandmother, that's her dad. And we're sitting in the living room and she said, dad, Kyle wants something of yours. And my grandfather said, really, what would you want? I sat there and I thought about it and I said, there's a picture on the wall. I want that picture. And he said, great. And he went over and he pulled it off the wall right then. He said, I want you to have it now. I I really believe this with all of my heart. If you're in that dark season, God does not want you to have joy one day. He doesn't want you to be found complete in him one day. He wants you to have it now. Amen. He loves you so much. He wants you to have it now. Amen. When I went to my great-grandfather's funeral, we met people we had never met before. People he had run into at a grocery store. People that he ran into uh, early in farming or when he married Mama Rose. But people showed up and filled the sanctuary full to celebrate my little five-foot-five great-grandfather who was just the guy that sat in the back of the room and shook hands and loved people. You know, I really think that's the way out. I've got to talk with so many of you, and thank you so much again for sharing your stories with me. Of all the sermons I've ever preached as a pastor, this sermon series has led me to more conversations than any of them. Hands down. I think there's something that's truthful and maybe maybe even therapeutic about you realizing that when you go through a dark season you're not alone and that maybe the pastor that preaches before you on Sundays goes through it too Um, I want you to know something there are no superheroes on this stage we all feel exactly the same way you do we feel the hurts we feel the joys we feel the struggle and so today if If you're finding that you're in this dark place that you're just not connecting with God that it feels like you're not getting it that your faith is struggling I want you to have hope today that you're not alone even if your pastor wasn't going through it you have a a Jesus in heaven who is as close and near to you as possible and he wants you to know that he wants you to have completion now so I want to pray for you before we even get to the text And I want to encourage you today. I want you to know that the Lord has amazing things in store for you today. Healing today. And so let me pray for you. Father in heaven, I pray, Lord, that you would just establish our time together. God, you know everything we need. God, you know in this room, people that are struggling just like I've been. People that need to hear from you. People that need a a moment of clarity from you today. God, we want to feel like we're connected to you. Lord, we want to feel like... Uh, Lord, that you're speaking over our lives. Well, we want to hear from you. And so, God, would you speak? God, would you move? You're a great God to us, and we love you. We praise you for what you're going to do in our lives today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So we go back to Ephesians. Maybe you have your Bibles with you. Ephesians chapter 1. We get that this writing is through the church at Ephesus. We talked about their background, that they're found throughout Scripture from the moment that Paul encounters them in Acts until revelation and today we've just come through talking about this redemptive nature of God who loves us so much that he brings us unto himself and today we're going to just jump right towards the next step of that and this is what it is Ephesians chapter 1 verse 15 it says this this is why since I heard about your faith in our Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints I've never stopped giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. I pray that the perception of your mind may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of His calling and what are the glorious riches of His inheritance among the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness? I love that, of his power to us who believe, according to his vast or according to the working of His vast strength. And listen to what it says. As we continue, he demonstrated this power in the Messiah by raising him from the dead and seating him at the right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title given. It's a powerful verse. Not only in this age, but the one to come. He put everything under his feet and appointed him as the head over everything of, for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. And it says this, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins which you previously walked according to the ways of this world. According, it says, to the ruler of the exercises authority over the lower heavens, the spirit now working in this disobedient. We, too, all all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with the Messiah, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. Together with Christ Jesus, he also raises us up and seats us in the heavens. So in the coming ages, he might display his immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. For we are his creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared ahead of time so that we should walk in them. God sets us up for such an amazing work. God literally sets you up for success in Him. He wants you to show the world what it looks like to be a part of His riches and glory. I mean, God loves you so much and so richly that He doesn't just start you down a path and say, hope you make it. He treads the path. He's the one that sets the path. And he says, come walk in where I'm going. It's an amazing walk that we get to be a part of. You get to be a part of what God is already doing. God has a plan for this world, an absolute plan for his glory. And those in Christ get to participate in it. That's an amazing gift for us today. You get to be a part of something that was set up on your behalf long ago. Because of the very nature of Jesus Christ, you and I get to participate in something we do not deserve to be a part of, but that God welcomes you into. My family and I recently took a trip to Dallas, and as a part of that, we decided that we were going to go take my family on the Dallas Cowboys Stadium Tour. I've been on it before, and I thought it'd be kind of cool to take my family, and so we did. We did. We walked up. We got to sit in amazing seats that none of us could afford to go to a game at. And we looked out on the field and we're like, ooh, ah. They took us up into Jerry Jones' booth, which you know that as soon as everybody leaves, they thoroughly scrub us out of, right? And we got to stand there and go, ooh, ah. And then they let us down into the locker rooms. You know what none of us earned that day? The right to be in that locker room. There's security guys standing there, and they all say the same thing. Do not touch the lockers. Don't you touch those lockers. Don't, don't even think about it. You can still see people, right, when the security guard moves. You know what they do? Touch the lockers. Y'all need to repent. Yes, if you're a locker toucher. Anyways, but that's what, I mean, you stand there, and you're like, wow. Because none of us earned the right to touch that locker, except for the man whose name was above it. Then we walked into the cheerleaders' locker room. It's got their pictures great big above them, standing like this. I don't know if that's why, I don't know when you take a picture as a cheerleader, if they're like, okay, family picture, and they all go. I don't know, but that's what all of them were doing. And so, uh, but it's above their locker. And they also said the same thing, don't touch the lockers. Because none of us had earned the right to touch the lockers. We walked out on the field. It's pretty amazing. We got to walk through this tunnel that they run out. We got on the field, and we're like, oh, right? But none of us earned the right to be on that field on game day. Now, you could pay your way on, and it was very small. There were no fanfares. You know, the, the football announcers weren't out there going, and now Kyle Clayton's on the field. It's an amazing pass. Look at him go. No one was saying that. All I was doing was playing with my kids. And this one dude that walked up and said, would you throw me a pass? Which I thought was weird. I thought he was just going to steal our football. Anyways, but none of us earned the right to be on that field. Only the players get to be on the field. Only the cheerleaders. Only the coaches. Only the personnel that paid the price to be on that field got to be on that field when it counted. And all this path that's before us, all of the riches and glory, all of heaven, all of joy and peace, all the fruits, none of that is our right outside of Jesus. Because we can't earn it. We don't deserve it. There is nothing that we could do to make it good enough that God would go, I'm going to give that to you because you're good enough. None of us has this. And that's the argument in Ephesians is Listen, you got to know two things. Number one, none of us has the right, but two, Jesus gives it to you through his blood. You are given a path and an outcome and a heaven because of Jesus and not because of you. Because we don't deserve it. We don't even deserve to touch the locker room of heaven. But praise God that he puts us in the game because of Jesus Christ, it shifts us forward and it allows us the chance to be grateful even when we don't feel like it. I know for Lewis Kinley, there's a lot of days he didn't feel like it. Can you imagine a man that saw two beautiful women in his life go to heaven before he did? A man who toiled the rest of his life hunched over because that's how he finished coming out of the hospital. A man that hurt every day because he did. Showed up every Sunday with a smile on his face because of hope in Jesus Christ. I also had out here one day, I didn't bring it with me, a little pocket Bible my great-grandfather carried every day. Carried it in his pocket because that's what these are for, they're pockets. Anyways, he put it in his pocket and he'd pull it out and take notes in it. And every single note is how to be saved, every single note. You know why? Because he'd run into people and pull it out. Hey, have you ever heard about Jesus Christ? Why don't you read this scripture? He did that to everybody he ran into. And his funeral was full, but I can't even imagine the reception in heaven for Lewis Kinley. That day that great showed up in heaven. As he walked through and and everybody knew him. Because you will be fully known in heaven, by the way. I always think that somewhere, somebody in a congregation thinks that when they get to heaven, the gates will open, they'll walk in and Jesus will go, Oh, it's you again. Right? Like, okay, come on. I mean, you made it. That is not the reception of heaven. Because of Jesus Christ, those of you in Christ are loved by God. And because of that, no one comes to him without a party. You are loved by God. So when you show up, listen, you're going to be known. And if you don't know this, catch this for a minute. Hebrews tells us there is a whole cluster of people who are anxiously cheering us forward. They're just cheering us forward. Keep going. We're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses is what Scripture says. And so we should run because of that. So when you get to heaven, my hope is this, that when I run into heaven, I am running like this. And they all go, yes, yeah, he made it. (laughs) yeah buddy all right get in the back line let's go again yes all right they made it all right get in the back line let's go again I think of great people that I've seen go to heaven that I know were cheered for that I just know with all of my heart a man named Noel Bratton Noel was this larger than life man he was a Texas Ranger About six foot three. He wore a duster jacket in southeast Texas every day of his life. You know why? Because he was the kind of guy that would pull back the duster jacket like this. And he always had two guns. One on each hip. All of his life. You see, Noel was the old school Texas Ranger. Where if you shut up and said something bad, he'd punch you in the face. And it didn't make the news. They weren't like, oh, local cop beats up man. No, they were like, local cop beat up a man. Woo! They celebrated Noel Bratton. And then Noel Bratton got old, and they took away his guns. They hung him on the wall in a picture frame. When I met Noel Bratton, he was about this tall and hunched over with a walker. And Noel Bratton made a difference in my life because one day he said, you know what, young man? Why don't you come to the house? I've got something for you. We sat down and he goes, you preached an amazing sermon last Sunday. But see, the Houston Texans start playing football at this time. I just figured you didn't have a watch, so I'm giving you one. (laughs) He didn't quit beating people up. I'm telling you that right now. (laughs) But you know what? He gave me about three or four watches in the time he was alive here in heaven, here on earth. And when he went to heaven, I missed him. I still have at my house one of his watches. I gave the other ones back to his kids, but I kept one. And it was a reminder to me of this. Not that I should preach shorter, because if you want football over Jesus, you can have it. But, uh, but because it reminds me to make a difference in people's lives. Like Noel Braddon made a difference in mine. You know, one day he came into the church service there in Fred when he was still a Texas Ranger. And he stood in the back of the room and scared the young new pastor so bad he quit preaching. <laughs> no, Brighton went home and watched the Houston Oilers that day. Uh, I just think that's like a fantastic story. Just duster in the back of the room, big tall man looking at you. I mean, that's, that scared me big time. We have such a way, guys, to influence lives. And God gives you a path for that. And because that, you can be cheerful today, even in your dark place, to know this. God can use us though we're broken. God wants to use you though you're broken. And when we come together in this room, Paul says this. He talks about their faith and their love for all the saints. It's a reminder that the faith of our faith family encourages our faith. The faith of our faith family encourages our faith. It moves us forward because when our church family is doing what we're doing. When you're singing out, when you're leaning into Jesus, you encourage people around you. You let them know that you're there for them. So when your faith is being encouraged by your faith family, it shifts your world. That's why you have to be here. You have to show up. And you know why you have to show up? Because everybody's waiting for someone else to take the first step. A few weeks back, we asked y'all to, to kind of move forward. Do you remember that day? I remember it because when I said it, I know what happened first. You know what happened first? People didn't instinctively grab their stuff. You know what they do first? They look around. Is anybody else going to do this or is it just going to be me? Because I'm not moving up there. Are you moving? I'm, okay, okay. And then they moved. Because when one person makes a move, the rest go with them. You need to make your move in faith. I keep hearing this reoccurring theme. Oh, our students are the church of tomorrow, and they are. But they're also the church of our today. And they need you to show up and worship Jesus deeply. They need you to come in and sing out and dig in with them. They need you to pray earnestly and over them and alongside them. They need that because you needed that. And maybe you need to see our students. And so I want to hit a timeout, and students, I'm going to give you a challenge. Don't let us old fuddy-duddies set the stage for you. You break the mold. Don't wait on us to worship deeply. Don't wait on us to pray deeply. Don't wait on us to enjoy worship. Make us miserable by you doing it. Because I got to tell you all something. We have all fallen into the same trap. The enemy has convinced us that what we do in this room doesn't matter show us that it does show it to us keep moving your section keep making us move out of our pews keep making us a little bit uncomfortable for the sake of finding out that it isn't about where we sit or what we do it's about Jesus show us that prove it to us and all of us fuddy-duddies like it soak it in learn from them and then let's lead. Let's quit asking the youth of, the net, of this generation to be adults. Let's be that. Let's show them what mature faith looks like. Let's lead the way. God has beat a path for us. Let's let those students walk with us. And God forbid that they have to tread it where we will not go. Lead us. Don't wait for us. Y'all do it. The next, God graciously and freely gives wisdom. He graciously and freely gives wisdom and revelation of himself. This is the most amazing thing about God's character is he wants you to know him. He doesn't make you walk steps. You don't have to go make a trek to know God. You have to learn from him. He wants you to dig in with him. He wants you to learn from his nature. He wants you to be changed by him. And he is willingly and freely giving you this. In fact, Paul prays this over them in verse 17. I pray that God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. This is a prayer that we should be praying continuously over our spiritual walk. God, reveal yourself to me. Show me more of you. He will. He will. The next Jesus changes our mindset to see the riches of the calling of God. He changes our mindset to see that there's riches in it he doesn't just leave you out he doesn't just hope that you catch this he absolutely changes your story so you will see that he knows who you really are he knows you he made you he created you and he's calling you to follow after him Amen. it's the most amazing thing about god's nature is this he made you and he knows how broken you really are and he still wants you to come alongside him. It's the beauty of God. I've told you before that I'm a dog owner. I am not a dog parent. Some of y'all in this room are dog parents, and bless you, that's my wife. She is a dog parent. She goes, Oh, did you did you say goodnight to Hank? And I'm like, Good night, Hank. <laughs> like, I don't feel like I have to go, oh, good night, Hank Y'all know who you are. It's the one time most of y'all speak in tongues. Anyways. <laughs> but, but y'all know who you are. This is the separation moment between dog, like, family member and dog owner. Here's another thing. Hank comes in and he sneezes. I go, gross. April goes, is he sick? Parent owner here's the next thing Hank's gotten into the theory that he owns the house so when I leave during the day if it's warm outside and it's fine I tell Hank you've got to go outside because Hank's an indoor-outdoor big dog and I say you've got to go outside and he looks at me like really bro because if April was here I could just sit here and give her the eyes and she'd go oh you can stay inside parents owner Right, and I go, I said outside, and he, he does the, okay, if I have to, and I shut the door, and he looks at me like, cue the music, oh, you know what I'm saying, that's Hank. April sees Hank, and he's always playing the music. She goes, would you like, to, oh, that's adorable. You can stay inside. I love you. I look at him and go, you're a dog outside where dogs live. You don't pay any bills. Get out. Get out. Get out. And I shut the door lovingly like this. <laughs> Owner. Owner. You know Scripture talks so many times about this nature of being in service of Jesus and how we should serve him with our lives. That we are We are bought with a price, therefore we are owned by God. And he could treat us like an owner, but he doesn't. He treats you like family. And he loves you like family. And he adopts you as family into himself. And he gives you the richest of riches as family. You're given a rich inheritance in Jesus because you're family. You're not some byproduct of faith. You are family. So because of that, you get to live a life that is so different. You are filled with power due to God's vast strength. You're filled with power because of him. And you may feel powerless today. You may feel like you don't have anything going for you. But you are filled with power because of God's vast strength. And if you feel powerless, if you feel like you just don't have it today, Like, it's just not happening for you. Here's what I want you to encourage in your walk is pray that God would reveal to you the power that he's filled you with. He's filled you with the riches of power from him. You are the housing of God himself. He gives you all of him in this little tiny box. And he just fills you full of himself. And he unleashes you on the world. So that you would be a changer of people. If you don't know Jesus, you're missing something vital for the enjoyment of now. He doesn't leave us abandoned. Do we go through seasons? You better believe we do. But man, he loves you. And he desperately wants to engage your life today. And so there's a first step in it. Scripture says that if you believe who he says he is, so if today if you would say, I believe the Bible is true about Jesus. I believe he really is who he says he is. He's the Savior of the world. I believe that he really did die for my sins. That he wants to change my life and lead me from here on out. If that is true of you, today is your day to make him known. The Bible says that if you'll believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be, it says, saved. And let me tell you what saved means real quick. Saved means saved from sin. It also means saved from yourself. Because at best, all we could be is owned. And frankly, that's exactly what the enemy would have us do today. We have a real enemy, and he wants to own you. But man, we have a God in heaven, and he wants you to be his family. He wants you to be known by him personally, because he already knows you. And he loves you that much. He sent his only son for you, for me, so that we could be family. Today, if you don't know Jesus, I pray that you would make that move. Know and trust in him and make him known. Let me pray for you. Lord in heaven, Lord, I praise you and thank you, God, for what you continue to do in our lives, Lord. You're a great God to us. And, Lord, we want you to be known in our lives so, Lord, no matter our circumstances, no matter what we're going through, Lord, we want to be changed by you. And so, Lord, we pray today that as we enter this time of response to you, God, that you would speak over our hearts. God, that you would speak into us new life. And, Lord, that if we don't know you, but, Lord, we've just kind of talked about you today, we would really be known. Lord, we'd know one another. And, God, we'd put our hope and our trust and our faith in you. So, God, I pray for boldness in this room, for those that don't know you as Savior and Lord today, that today they would make you known. So, Lord, would you use this time? Lord, remind us it's not about our circumstances, it's about our Savior. And so, God, we want you to be known today. We praise in the holy and precious name of Jesus. Amen.